I am still working on Andrea getting the help that she needs to heal as a little girl. I don't necessarily care to go by that. Sometimes I feel like Andrea whenever I am spiritually fit and I'm dressed appropriately and I'm at an event or I'm doing something, I feel like the grown-up Andrea. But other times I, Andy is who I am all the time. Not to say that I have these different personalities, if you can understand where I'm going. But I think all of us are sort of like Russian nesting dolls. So there's a five-year-old me in here, 15, 20-year-old, 25-year-old me. And Andrea is, is probably about 12. So we're working on her. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Greetings from Studio AA, deep in the heart of Texas. That thar was the voice of Andy V that you heard at the beginning of this episode, episode number. 310310 and you will be hearing so much more from her Andy V in just a moment but first things first this here episode is brought to you by Monica and Emma and Laura and Will what you may ask did Monica and Emma and Laura and Will do to deserve such a mention at the beginning of this here episode, well, they went to our website, www.soberspeak, S-O-B-E-R-S-P-E-A-K. Never spelled that out before, but just in case people need to know, dot com. They clicked on the little yellow donate tab and they made a contribution. So thank you so much, Monica and Emma and Laura and Will. This here episode is coming right out to Ewan's. And as I was saying, Will's there, Will's name there, it made me think about how that would be a name that I personally would love to have because I'd like to go around and I'd have some sort of version of I am the will of God. (laughs) You know, this is a true story. I used to have a job and uh, in in that job, uh, my title, my actual title on that job, it was on my business card, was solution executive. And so I used to tell people, hey, listen, I am officially 
a solution executive. So when you need a solution, just come talk to me. I've got, I've got you covered. And I can remember saying that a few times to um, the lovely Mrs. M, but she, I don't know, she wasn't buying it. Nonetheless, uh, let's go on here. Uh, what else do I need to tell you? I, John M., just another bozo on the bus, will indeed be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table and let's get started. Remember now, no matter who you are or what your past looks like, you're welcome here. This is an open table for all and we are excited that you have joined us. All right, so now on to Andy V. And this is part one of two episodes we're going to have back-to-back for Andy V. And uh, this is part one. And Andy is, well, she attends our local Frisco group here in uh, in Texas. And I always, always love hearing Andy share. And so I got her over for an interview. She was kind enough to, um, to uh, what do you call that, uh, uh, appease me to, to, uh, she was kind enough to come on over and record a couple of sessions with me. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, and as you heard at the beginning of the clip, or, or as you heard the beginning clip at the beginning of this episode on the clip at the beginning of this episode, I am so sorry. Uh, Andy is still working on Andrea and we're going to discuss that during the podcast. And we're also the episode, and we're also going to discuss a uh, sex as it relates to the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and what we keep hidden, the secrets, and when we shouldn't keep those secrets hidden. Uh, Therapy, we talk about therapy, we talk about trauma, eating disorders, being the black sheep of the family, and much, much more. I know you're going to enjoy this one, and you're going to want to tune in next week for part two of Andy's interview. So everybody, we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. Enjoy Andy. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here. I've been really, really looking forward to this interview. She goes to my home group uh, and I absolutely love her. Uh, I'm going to have you, I'm going to go ahead, Andy, and have you introduce yourself and give your sobriety date, if you will, please, and tell people where you live in this, on this planet of ours. Sure. Hey, I'm Andy Alcoholic. My sobriety date's March 13, 2009, and I live in Coppell currently, just north of Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. I'm from Arlington, but I live there so I can easily get to the airport and travel and I commute up to Frisco to the groups up here. Well, yeah, I I didn't know that until we just started. You live in Coppell, but you come to Frisco, which is a decent little hike. Yeah. And how did you end up making that pick, if you will? You know, I started in Arlington. My home group is in Arlington and my sponsor I've been with her for the last 12 years. My late sponsor was of the same mind, and they both have told me that you need to visit other groups because one day yours may fold, and you need to be of service elsewhere sometimes, and also you need to hear other voices. So I've always traveled around the Metroplex or when I've traveled for work, but 
I hadn't yet been to Frisco. When I left Arlington and moved to the Grapevine area and then over to Coppell, I started going to Carrollton during COVID and my home group split in Arlington because I was going back towards my home group periodically and staying an active member over there as best I could. And then the Carrollton group at that time didn't have a lot of women. And just because it was COVID and it was a, it was a you know weird environment. So I found myself over at Preston for a while, about a year and a half. And, you know, I don't know what it was, but I prayed and prayed and asked God for me to find a foothold where I could be of service. And I didn't feel like it was there. And so I just took a left and came north and I found myself in Frisco. Well, Frisco is very fortunate to have you. You, It's been a a blessing to have you in that group. I, I can say that. And I, I, I guess I can't literally speak for the group, but I can tell you, I know everybody there just uh, absolutely loves you being there. So I'm glad you ended up there. And speaking of the Carrollton group, you actually know my sponsor. His name is Bob L. Uh, and uh, I guess you met him going to meetings. At yeah, I actually in, uh, I don't know, it's probably been 10 years ago when I got one of my first air quote, real jobs in sobriety. <laughs> I was working in North Dallas and uh, acting like I knew what I was doing for a living and I needed a meeting and I would come straight across from Addison directly over uh, Beltline and I found Carrollton years ago, I guess now about 10 or 11 years ago. And then, um, you know, I knew where they were. So it's only really about six minutes from my home and I still pop over there sometimes on Tuesdays or Thursdays. Yeah. And actually I just gave a talk. Yeah. I was pleased for, I was really honored and pleased that Bob asked me. Yeah. Yeah. He told me about that. Uh, he, and, but he didn't tell me about the part, I guess we all were in the kitchen or something like that. And, uh, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but he thought, what was his impression of you he again? He goes, well, here I thought you were just some rich little rehab girl out of Arlington that had our <laughs> stuff together and she show up over here and Whoa, yeah, that isn't the case. <laughs> and I said, no, sir, it's not. <laughs> well, that's part of why we're here today. That's funny. He's yeah. a funny guy, too. And, I, you know, this is another thing. It's completely off topic, and this is how I, how I go. It, um, I believe I heard you say in a meeting, because I just happened when you kind of shifted there while you're sitting across from me, you have tattoos. And I could have sworn you said that you did not get any of those tattoos until after you got sober. Is that right? I didn't get any of the of the traveling tattoos. I have pieces of the places to which I've traveled. Oh, wait, wait, okay. What what are tra- okay? They're traveling tattoos. So does that mean you get you get them when you're at that place? Or you no, no way because some of them are third world. So no, <laughs> no. What I do, I've had a couple of tattoos. When you know the the unfortunate had too many drinks and was a soup sandwich <laughs> falling into the chair of the artist and. You know, and come out with the frog hanging on a reed and it, like, what is that? You know, or somebody's initials. I don't even like what, it, you know, those good ones. So I've had those covered and some removed. But over the years, by the grace of God and, and the help of, you know, others like me, I've been able to put together um, time at a job where I get time off and if I don't have any children and I just have myself and cats. I'm a sole supporter. So I travel. Uh, a lot when I can. And what I do is I take photos, I try to capture, you know, like an image viewer, like when we were kids, those image viewers, those red little things, we clicked and could see an image. And when I find the photos that really move me or the position or a place that I'm in, and someone like a girlfriend or a sponsee, and I've traveled together, snaps a photo of me, well, I'm I will tattoo that piece when I get home. So you can't see me online, but I actually have Antarctica. I just went in December and I have pictures that I took and he put them together. Then I have Greece, 
you know, oh, sit, wow. you know, sitting on yeah. the side of. Uh, oh wow, that of, is very. Di- I've I've never. I mean, I've seen them from afar, but I haven't seen it that yeah, up close. Like, my goodness, it's actually me. Is that you? Yeah, it's me with my backpack and everything, and then wow. a little town that's called Little Venice. It's in Mykonos, uh, Greece, and then some different ones. I've got Scotland and Ireland over here because I just was there a month and a half ago. And so as I continue to go, my next trip is Tanzania into the Serengeti. And I'm looking for a really great shot of some zebras, because that's how I felt when I came into a place of recovery where I'd found the zebras. Wow. So I'm look, and so we're saving this large piece um, of skin I have left up here on the upper thigh for some zebras. And then I actually have Egypt in November and then next year, Vietnam and Australia and New Zealand. So that would be my seven continents next year. Wow. Very cool. So that's what, that's what they are. And then some other things I've, I've survived some different, you know, uh, trials and tribulations in life. And I've put together just sort of a story line that would take all day, but it's it is all on your, so y'all can't see this at, uh, we listening, but everything that I'm looking at is on your legs. Is it pretty much all on your legs? Yes. And I'm, rather conservative uh oddly you wouldn't think so with all the tattoos but i'm rather conservative especially with work i'm very modest uh in my dress and so i'll either wear long skirts tall boots or i wear suits or pants and jeans so nobody at work knows and then when they see me either on accident or they run across something and i'm like oh no and i accidentally sent my boss a, a photo and i meant to send it to someone else with the same first name and i mean it was full fledged both my legs and i thought well it doesn't change how I do my job. He just now knows that I have. They used to be socks, but now they're stockings is what they call them. They're not yeah, sleeves. Because sleeves are on the arms. Yeah. But no, I don't have them anywhere else and I won't go up. Cause, wow. Because I can cover my legs. Right, 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 right. Which I can cover the arms, but it's so hot in Texas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, I, the Okay, so part of the reason that you're here is that there was one day in a meeting and uh, you had shared, uh, and, and you know, I don't usually start people out this way, but with you, I just, I, I just want to let's just free flow, free, free form, and see where we go. So, you shared in a meeting. I was there. It was at a noon meeting, and you shared about the okay, the the inventory of the excuse me, the subject of sex came up. And, you know, people always get a little squirmy in their seat when that comes up. Um, but you shared about the inventory in a way that really captivated not only me, but other, in fact, Ricky, Ricky C., who we both know, uh, came up to me after that. He goes, did you hear her share about that? I said, yeah, she just, been, he goes, you should have her on the podcast. She does fantastic. And so, um, I want to, and I've talked to you a little bit about that. And you said, yeah, you know, we need to share about these things. So I'm going to, I'm going to start this out by asking you actually to describe uh, a sex inventory or just your, your, your feeling. Let me, let me put it this way. If you, if I was another woman in the program and you were talking to me about a sex inventory and why that is important, give me a little bit of, of your thought process there. Sure. I remember the meeting and I remember feeling moved to share in such a way. And I'm very judicious about what I share in the rooms because I'm a firm believer that we take our problems to our sponsor and we take our solutions to the meetings. 
And I felt like it was solution oriented, certainly, but I feel like a lot of times we skate around some of the things that people drink over that we drank over that we were shamed or we felt shame or we still feel guilt. And a lot of times in the rooms, these are the things that we don't, that we don't talk about even when we do work a thorough, what we consider a thorough fourth step and a fifth step with, with someone. Um, you know, I survived, um, sexual abuse at a young age, sexual violence in high school, domestic violence, um, you know, was, was held hostage and, and, and beaten and in a, you know, in a home and, and kept there for a while and finally escaped that and then found another relationship. And then he would be the guy on the white horse. And, and this is in my twenties and the guy on the white horse was really a, a good guy. And then that man shot himself in the head in my bedroom and I was there. So you layer all this trauma on top of trauma after trauma and you don't ever talk about it, you know, because who are you going to share this with in the world? Right. And then you come into a room full of folks similar to us with good motives. And then in the privacy of a fourth step with a confidant, I was able to write some of these things down and realize that, you know, when we do the columns of the fourth step, the big book especially tells us when we do the sex inventory that we get to choose a new ideal of a relationship. These are the, we've worked through the fourth step. So now we actually get to choose what our relationship can look like. We have an ideal of an ideal. I think they use the word ideal as opposed to idea. And so my thought process in that meeting was, these are the things that we drink over. These are the things that we don't share about. These are the sick and suffering alcoholics in and out of the rooms of, of recovery. There are people who, and even myself, didn't tell it all. You know, I actually sponsor a man, and that's not very common. And I sponsor a man, and I'll just take a little segue here, not a rabbit hole. I sat down with an individual uh, years ago. And he told me some things, whether related to this or something else, but uh, he had never told anybody, but he continued and continued and continued to relapse over the years and he couldn't ever stay sober. And he had a male sponsor and whatever, but we've been friends for 14 years for um, the length of my sobriety. I carried a meeting into treatment and he was there, but you know, he and I sat together and uh, he told me some things that had happened, good, bad, indifferent related to this topic, maybe not completely and he's not drank again. So sometimes it's just what we keep hidden and it becomes this burr, you know, it's like in our side and then it festers and festers and then we insulate against it and we never get honest. And so when we were in that meeting and people were just kind of skating the topic of, oh, the fourth step and then we do this column and we do this column and, and this and that and they always jump from four to nine. It's like we go from four to either four to five or like four or five and then we skip over to nine and the amends and it, it's it's you know, I try to live in four through nine today. I try to always live in four through nine because I need to see my part. But when it comes to sex inventory, I know what I survived. I know what I did when I was drinking. A lot of things I'm not proud of. Alcohol took me to places that, you know, I, a girl like me growing up blue collar and going to church all, you know, all the times the doors were open. I wasn't supposed to be that girl. But when I came in here into these safe places and I got with a woman I could trust, I needed to purge and I needed to tell her and I needed to cry and I needed to cleanse and I go to therapy and some of this stuff is 
sincerely the PTSD that I live with today that I've tried to work through most of, but it still comes up. And I continue to do inventories today, but not about those old things, but the things that I'm still carrying or some of the, um, some of the guilt or the shame that I maybe just haven't yet scratched deep enough because it's so many years and layers deep. So when we sit in these rooms and we just lightly talk about these topics, and I remember that day, I remember actually about four men reached out to me via Facebook Messenger out of respect. They don't have my phone number, right? So, and some of them aren't my friends on Facebook. And they just said, you really moved me by what you shared. And some of them said, I feel exactly like what you said. There are some things I'm so shameful of that happened to me. And I think that that's where it's important that even in a room full of others like us, I don't think we need to share the details always because that's not the place to do it. Um, but it's important that we share and, and scratch a little deeper than just the the generic canned four step. Here we what we do and this is how we do it. So that's perfect. That's where yeah. I went with that. Yeah, it was it was moving. Um, um, I, I, like I said, I, I still remember it. It was just one of those things. I mean, you just shared for I don't know three, four, five minutes at the most, but uh, it was captivating. So, so let me back up now. Okay, you you grew up in Arlington. I did, right? And for those of you who don't know, Arlington is a, a suburb of Dallas. Um, t- tell me a little bit about your upbringing. I remember some of it, but not all of it. So, uh, and, and did I mention already that I saw you speak at the uh, at, at our at our group? Oh, so <laughs> she's going. Yeah, she's yeah. trying to save me. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. You know, we all have we have lives and jobs, and it's funny that the more I've got going on in my world, it seems like the more I forget um, little things sometimes. I actually grew up in Arlington. It's between Dallas and Fort Worth. And it's funny, my mom always will say, because I travel a lot, and as our family have folks around different states, will say, oh, yeah, y'all are in Dallas. And she was always the one to say, no, we're in Arlington, because it was the bedroom community, you know, between the two at one time. And now it's the mecca of entertainment where the stadiums and all the things are, right? Right. So I grew up there, and then um, my father and my mother are both just very normal blue-collar workers. My mom worked at the college for 35 years there, UTA. And then she went part-time for probably 10 years after that. My father worked for the city of Arlington. And um, just was a good, just a regular Joe, you know, and we had a normal family life. Brothers, sisters? I have a sister that I was raised with in our household, and my father had two sons uh, from a previous marriage. They were older. And, um, you know, unfortunately, my eldest brother was murdered by a woman in the the disease. His wife uh, murdered him. And um, Okay, so let's... Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. And when that happened. I mean, were you, were I was you sober? sober? Were you not sober? I was sober. And uh, my brother and I were trying to develop a relationship because, again, he's quite a bit older. Um, I would say 15, 18 years between the two. Uh, the, bro- the two brothers were 15 and 18 years older than me. And I was trying to develop a relationship through my 20s and 30s with them. But I was still drinking in my 20s and very early 30s. And so I wasn't. You know, it was never making much sense. or We weren't getting together to do anything. It was phone calls and three drinks in or five drinks in and just kind of slurred conversations. And so the eldest brother uh, 
he was married in his military, 33 years active military. His wife was using methamphetamines. He did not know that. He came back from his uh, last tour, and unfortunately, um, she used his 45 and um, and shot him. And uh, it, it could turn into a lifetime movie right away. It's unfortunate. Wrapped him in plastic, dragged him to the back of the house. The whole thing, the sheriff came, the, the Texas Rangers took over the case, the military came in, they couldn't find him. He had been... Number one for 33 years, never absent and never late for work. And all of a sudden, three days in a row, he's missing. It was a horrible story. And she was in the front of the house using meth while he was in the back. Yes. Okay, so how did you find out about so this? So I was, he went missing. And so the family started talking, like, has anybody seen, has anybody heard from? And I was in college. When I got sober, I went back to school about a year and a half, almost two years into sobriety. I got um, I got the, the gumption and the nerve to apply for school. So I was going to UTA and then we got the word that the day that I, it was an 8 a.m. proctored test at, at the college for an online course, which was awful on a Saturday, an 8 a.m. algebra test, which, <laughs> you know, I had a tutor and it was awful. And I, I just hate math. And it's funny how much I use it today. But um, that morning on my way to the 8 a.m. exam, they said they found him. And he had been, he'd finally been found after three or four days. And I, at that time was, oh, I was nearly done. So that was 2012. So I was nearly done with school there. Well, I was halfway. I graduated in 2013 and then went on to get my MBA after that. Then my younger of the two brothers, uh, he, the younger of the two elder brothers, he died um, almost five years ago and, or it was just five years, I think he just didn't take care of himself, unfortunately, and didn't live a very healthy lifestyle. We used to drink together. He bought me my first beers when I was younger, 13, 14. He's kind of part of my story. We looked alike, talked alike. He was a lot like my father. And um, unfortunately, he just got very ill and didn't take care of himself. And it was a pre-COVID thing, but it looked just like it from a lung dysfunction. And basically, his body shut down and he, he died. How old was he again? He was only 51. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so did you say there was a sister in there? My sister is, uh, yes, my sister's seven years my senior. She and I were raised together. We have the same parents, um, a beautiful woman uh, with whom I'm getting to, de- with whom I'm developing a relationship now, you know, as an adult, because we were really a generation apart. I mean, she was leaving high school and I was going into the sixth grade, yeah. um, you know, that we were far apart in age and she is not one of us. Um, with the cups. I think we all have our hangups. Yeah. Um, but she is a beautiful woman with a husband and a son, and we have a, a pretty good relationship. She started to want to travel with me a little bit. I've got a few passport stamps. Her and I have traveled to Canada and elsewhere together and had a good time. And uh, yeah. So when she, I'm curious about her perspective through all this versus your perspective. Uh, and I'm, I don't want you to tell her story, so to speak, but you know, she, she grew up in, in, with the same parents and such. So talk to me a little bit about your relationship with your parents, what that was like. And then also what, how, if your sister views any of this differently, or if you all kind of have the same viewpoint on the family. Okay. No, this is great. This is such an incredible topic, uh, that never really gets touched on. My sister and I are polar opposite. I look and 
I stand taller. I look different than she. I have the dark features and whatnot, and she does not. She's lighter skin. She's very much like my mother as far as appearance and the way that she carries herself. And I'm like my father. My father died when I was 11, and my sister was 17, almost 18. So, so just real quick, did we? Get, your father died when you were 11. When I was 11. And how did he? Pass? He died in his sleep. Okay. Uh, he was an older dad, air okay. quotes, you can't see online here or listening. I mean, um, he, but he also fathered those two sons. So in fact, he wasn't an older dad to the, to those older boys, right? He didn't have a relationship with the eldest son, uh, that was in the military, but he did with the second. And, okay. and so then my sister and then me. So when my father died, I didn't look like anybody. I didn't, there was no one like me. Uh, I think from the age of five, I started behaving differently. <laughs> um, by the time I was 13, after he died, now I'm angry, I'm upset. Our family dynamic growing up, there were no drugs drinking, there was no abuse, there was nothing out of the ordinary in our home. The only thing I can remember is being lucky enough to get to stay home on Sunday morning from church to sit with my dad and watch wrestling. And then my dad finally <laughs> went finally went into the church. Yeah, we loved the Von Erics. You know, yeah, the Von Erics. Yeah, yeah, the Atkinsons. My father knew their dad, you know. And so my dad, was, you know, we loved to watch wrestling together and, and work on his cars, you know, and things like that. But um, my mom would be at church. And so sometimes I faked sick so I could stay home with my dad. And then a couple of years before he died, he got back active in the church, which, which was a blessing. Yeah. You know, my mom was a spiritual leader and I have respect for that for a long time in our home. Um, and then my sister and I got along fine, I guess. Just again, she's older, right? So we don't have a whole lot in common. She's driving. I'm in, you know, the sixth grade. Yeah. She's got a job. I'm, you know, staying home alone. I'm a latchkey kid. There was a lot of difference there. Um, she doesn't have a relationship. She didn't have a relationship with my brothers at all. She didn't try. She didn't. They didn't live with us. They didn't come around. They didn't. We didn't have that interaction. We actually, my father and his brother married two sisters, which is rather neat because both of them had two children. So my father had two sons and then my uncle had two daughters. They grew up together as cousins, kind of like siblings. And then my mother came along a little bit later after my father had divorced and and so then my sister and I grew up with our cousins in a different relationship. We didn't all co-mingle. It was a little Jerry Springer, mm-hmm. uh, if you look back, but not while we were alive. You know, we, or while we were alive. Well, my father was alive. I'm sorry. It was not while we were young. It wasn't like that. It was just understood. My sister believed, I believe in my heart of heart that I was a selfish, self-centered brat who needed the attention all the time, needed to get my way, and was very much different than her. And I was just not her friend. She didn't care much at all for me. I was just a brat. And then as I aged and continued to drink, I think she pitied me. I think she felt sorry for me. I think, I don't want to speak for her, but I think there was judgmentalism and and maybe a a titch of self-righteousness and 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 moving a different path and staying in the church and staying in that sort of, you know, lineage or that line with my mother where I went to the, you know, took a right and went over here and did this, you know, I was already sinning by the time I was six. So I I was already like, you know, on my own, doing my own thing. Then I lost my father. The only creature on the planet I thought I looked like, act like, spoke like my only pal in the family until I met my brother. 
and my brother look like my father. And my I started, I started spending time with the younger of the two, Dale, and I'll spend you know spent time with him, and and we got along really well. But from the perspective today, it's different. When my sister and me visit, she'll tell me, you know, I didn't realize that you felt that way mm. because this is the way I saw it. So we had two completely different childhoods, two completely different lenses. So, yeah, and it, it, which is, and, and you see this with brothers and sisters, right? Uh, their lenses uh, and how they perceive things. And I've always found that uh, uh, fascinating. All right, so let's go back to your, so your mom and your sister are kind of doing the right thing, so to speak. You can't see that in air quotes. And then Andy, by the way, also your, your name, I'm, I meant to ask you about that. Is it just so everybody, so, so it's A-N-D-I, right? Which is when you hear Andy, traditionally you think of a, a male, right? right? Obviously you're not a male. Yeah. And so where did the, do, is that short for something? Yes. My name's Andrea. Oh, my name, yeah. Uh-huh. So, did you pick the nickname, or did somebody else? My father called me Harvey, which is so random. Harvey? Yeah, he called me Harvey <laughs> Q Monkey Puncher, which is hilariously odd. He was just a real funny man about silly things, and so I think he wanted another boy, and he called me Andy. I mean, he would work under his car on his creeper. Anybody who knows what those are, the gearheads, and then he had me a mini creeper. I would go under there with him and hand him tools. I was literally his little mini me. And I remember being called Andy when I was younger and it was, it's been spelled with an I my entire life. And then I have some family members in, in East Texas. They call me Drew. Some people call me Andrew, you know, as it's kind of just a in term of endearment or funny, yeah. but I don't like to be called Andrea because, well, there's a number of reasons, but number one, no one can ever pronounce it. <laughs> It's always it's on Andrea, Andrea and, Andrew, and Andriana, right. Adrian. I mean, I've had doctors call me Audra. I'm like, I appreciate you knowing who I am with this personal relationship. Thank you. But also, I am still working on Andrea getting the help that she needs to heal as a little girl. And so, you know, that's a very odd, random, left field thing to say. But that's another reason. I don't necessarily care to go by that. Sometimes I feel like Andrea whenever I am spiritually fit and I'm dressed appropriately and I'm at an event or I'm doing something. I feel like the grown up Andrea, but other times I, Andy is who I am all the time. Not to say that I have these different personalities, if you can understand where I'm going, Mm -hmm. but I think all of us are sort of like Russian nesting dolls. So there's a five-year-old me in here, 15, 20 year old, 25 year old me. And Andrea is is probably about twelve, so we're working on her. <laughs> I understand. Uh, um, okay, so, and I took you off track. So, you, my sister and my mom are living yeah, right. You, you're they're they're going along one way, and then here's Andy, kind of uh, little black sheep in it. <laughs> Yeah, I took a picture when I was in Scotland and I circled the little black sheep because there was a bunch of white ones. I said, look, here I am. And I posted it on uh, Facebook and people laughed. And only the people who laugh know, you know, they get it. Like, right. A lot of the other black sheep laughed at the photo. So, or who we all think we are, you know. Um, But I probably never really was. I think it's perception. I just never did feel like I fit into this family. And in fact, it was just me. That felt like I didn't fit in. They were all trying really hard to make me feel inclusive in some ways. Um, And then there are others, other things I'm dealing with. But my sister and my mom, 
uh, yes, they stayed in church, both very active, still active, and of that mindset can, you know, pull out the great big book and, and bring up a verse or scripture. And, you know, I'm not there, but I can pull out the big book and tell you what page it's on. So it's just what speaks to us differently. Right. Right. And that's where I found God. And But was that kind of a lonely place and knowing you're mm-hmm. the black sheep? Oh, and- sure. So I found the friends who were, you know, we were shaving our heads and we were wearing all the, the black makeup and trying to, you know, fit in anywhere we could. I was, you know, I was no, so no social circle was really accepting of me and it was probably me. Uh, but I didn't fit in. I, we didn't have the money for the clothes, so I wasn't the preppy. I didn't. I wasn't the Roper girl. You know, back then we had all the different little named groups. I just was sort of a social butterfly, and I didn't play any sports. After my father died, there were no other extracurricular activities. I was once a brownie and a Girl Scout and sold cookies, and I played softball and did all those things. But it seemed like there was just this huge shift. My, that was the catalyst that changed my life, you know, when my father died. And it's nobody's fault. Um, and I realize that today, but it doesn't negate how I feel, right? Like everybody did the best they could, but it doesn't negate that I feel the way I do or how I experienced what I did. And it took me a long time to figure that out and get in therapy to tell me my feelings were valid. Yeah. So here's what I'm thinking. We're, we've hardly touched, scratched the surface with you. And I don't think we're going to be able to get everything done in one episode. So what I'd like to be able to do, if you're okay with it, is go ahead and pause now, schedule some additional time with you, and then we'll get you back on the mic again and we'll finish out your story because there's just, there's a lot more. All right. And, and I know that uh, because like I said, I've, I've heard your story and, and I love it. So will you be willing to come back at another time? Would that be okay with you? Absolutely. No, thank you. It'd be an honor. I'd really appreciate it. Okay. So I always close it here with page 164 of the big book. I'm going to read here. It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Andy V., Andy with an I, as you trudge the road of happy destiny, may God bless you and keep you until then. And I'll look forward to getting back on the mic with you again soon, Andy. Thank you so much. Thank you, Andy. So much appreciate uh, spending time with you. And as a reminder to all the listeners out there, please tune in next week when we will have Andy V part two, the second part of this interview. You don't want to miss that. Now, remember folks, we do not want you sharing your uh, STD. We do not want you sharing your toothbrush. We do not want you sharing your gossip, but we would love for you to share this episode with a friend or family member. It may be just what they need today. So take your device, hit the pause button and share that episode on over there with them. And once again, we'll have Andy back uh, next week for part two. 
Now on to a little bit of listener feedback. And before I get into the listener feedback, um, as a reminder, we have our good friend Mike out in Tempe, Arizona, who has volunteered to, to receive written letters for those of you who hear this and are unable to write an email and send it off or you, um, uh, or you, <laughs> I'm having a hard time speaking today. And I noticed that on the introduction as well. And I want to tell you, I go through a little pregame here before I start. And I, and today, uh, my pregame was, I just kind of was, uh, a sniffing some, uh, well, I do a little prayer first, right? I held my hands up way high in the air. And then I just asked God to guide me and stuff. And, and part of my pregame also is, um, uh, a lot of times I'll use uh, essential oils just to kind of wake me up, if you will. Uh, and one of those oils that I use is peppermint oil. And I use that peppermint oil today, but maybe I should have used a little bit more. Nonetheless, we have our, our friend Mike out in uh, Tempe, Arizona, who has graciously volunteered to receive written letters. Uh, and, and this started because Mike uh, was an inmate himself. And what he realized is that he could listen to some of these episodes, but he could not email in like a lot of people were emailing in. And he said that, um, that he would volunteer to receive letters. Now, I think most of the letters that he has received thus far have been from inmates. However, there are others who just want to write in and have some communication. And Mike has gracefully agreed to uh, receive those letters. So if you want to write in a physical letter, uh, write to Sober Speak. And this is at 1962 East Apache Boulevard. Apache is A-P-A-C-H-E Boulevard, and that's P.O. Box 7925, and that's in Tempe, Arizona, T-E-M-P-E, Arizona, zip code 85281, and Mike will receive your letters and communicate back with you. So uh, we're so grateful to Mike that he does that. So thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. And now, on to some listener feedback. Paul writes in, and Paul, well, just happens that Paul is a another gentleman that helps us within this little sober speak team that we have here by reaching out to inmates that um, uh, reach out to us via uh, the Secura system, is what it's called. Uh, and it's basically just an email system. And Paul has been gracious enough to, with his time to uh, communicate with the inmates that reach out. But anyway, he says, hi, John, I hope you're doing well. Uh, I keep meeting people here in Dallas that know you and who also listen to and benefit from your podcast. I really appreciated Alan B's recent interview. And I think it is great that you included someone with so much sobriety experience who is going through a difficult time. Yeah, and if you haven't heard that, that's episode number 307. And the title of this is called, or was called, or is called still, Healthy Relationship with Reality. And Alan's going through a difficult time, and he has 50 plus years of sobriety. And he talks about going through that difficult time and about 
how that has impacted him in his life. I would definitely go back and listen to that. Anyway, uh, Paul says it is inspiring. Uh, oh, it is inspiring to see how he is putting the AA principles into practice in his life during this challenge and continuing to be of service to his family and the AA community at large. I agree, Paul. It was relatively easy to find his webpage, and I am fascinated by his career as a psychologist and his contributions to the Gestalt therapy. I feel a strong connection to his story. I am a Marine veteran with deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan, and I am currently working in my MS in counseling with the intention of working with veterans at the VA or through a nonprofit. If you don't mind, can you please forward my email to him? Well, as you know, uh, Paul, I did that. Hopefully you guys were able to connect from there and have a good conversation. Ellen writes in and Ellen says, hello, John. I live in East Tennessee, Johnston City, Johnson City, to be specific. We have a very large community here, AA and DAA. I think that's Debtors Anonymous, but I'm not completely. I know DA is Debtors Anonymous, but DAA, maybe that's drugs, alcoholics, Anonymous. I don't know. I'm so sorry. I could have looked it up before I actually started reading this, but I'm a lazy podcaster. Anyway, she says, I have been sober since 4-2 of 22, but in and out of the room for many years. I am so grateful to have tapped into an entire solution in the way of life from Alcoholics Anonymous. I found Sober Speak after seeking a step six and seven type six and seven worksheet type situation. Oh, she found that on our website. We have worksheets on the website, just in case you don't know that. But she says, I have so many speakers that I've loved, um, and but none that I have found them on YouTube. I hope to explore your site soon and find some more. Thanks for all you do, Ellen S. Well, Miss Ellen S., thank you for writing in. We appreciate ya. All right. That my friends, is another episode is another episode of Sober Speak in the Books, episode number 310. We will hopefully be back next week. I take this one week at a time. You never can tell. Until then, uh, may God be with you. And also keep coming back. It works if you work it. And then may God bless you and keep you until then. I guess you really can't have three sign-offs, right? I've only, I've had two, but I'm probably going to whittle that down to one, maybe two, not do three anymore, right? It's just a little confusing. Anyway, God bless y'all. Love you. Bye-bye. <laughs>